0: I I don't really want to follow that. They always say it's really hard to follow kids. Uh, thank you to the Wharton family. Uh, once again, you've blessed us with um, just with your wit and uh, just great great acting. Let's say great acting on part of the kids. So thank you so much. <clears throat> Today we will be in Lamentations three. My sermon is called Hopeful Lament. Um, I've shared this before. Uh, Some of you know that I'm in a a spiritual direction program, a two-year training program to be certified in spiritual direction. I've I've mentioned it in sermons before, Uh, and there's a reason for that. What what I'm trying to do by mentioning spiritual direction, because it's really not a part of our tradition much, Uh, some of you know what spiritual direction is. But the reason I mention it and I will mention it a little bit specifically in this sermon is because it gives one of the things that's been so helpful to me. I could have never guessed I would have been in this program during a pandemic. And what God has shown me is there's different ways of looking at God. Sometimes we've been in traditions for so long that they just start to fall short for us. And so what God is doing for me is teaching me a different way of looking at him, a different language, a different way of being with my brothers and sisters. So I will mention this. We we have a lot of reading to do, and I want to share just a brief excerpt from reading that we did last week. It's by a woman named Janet Ruffing. She says this, and she's talking about a gentleman named Gerald May. In his excellent treatment of resistance, psychiatrist and spiritual director Gerald May observes, the human mind is an endless source of inventiveness when it comes to avoiding the implications of spiritual experience. That's a little heady. Janet Ruffing, in quoting May, adds, we often and more confusingly avoid the experiences of God that we claim to desire. She goes on to say, God gently lures us into intimacy and unexpectedly explodes us into mystery. I think that's very helpful, but what? let me just break that down. Maybe that's just a little heady. Let me break that down. They're saying we desire intimacy with God, but once we get it, we quickly realize that God is too big and too mysterious for us. So we come up with all kinds of ways to avoid the intimacy that we desire with God. T.S. Eliot put it like this. Humankind cannot bear very much reality. Well, we are in a whole lot of reality with All the COVID pandemic not being able to meet as many as we'd want today. All the racial strife that has existed in our nation. A contentious election. We are in a moment in history in our nation that is simply too big for us. We have bumped up against the wall and that wall is God. Whatever he is doing is too big for us to fully comprehend. And it leaves us in turmoil, feeling overwhelmed in chaos. We have to learn a new language. And Pastor Larry has said that new language is the language of lament. So we will take a break from the book of Habakkuk this week. Pastor Larry will finish that next week. And we today will be in chapter 3 of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations. It's written by an unknown author, Many people think it's Jeremiah, but we simply don't know. What we do know is that the author has survived the destruction of the southern kingdom of Judah, and he's kind of reflecting back on this event, and he's reflecting on the siege of the city of Jerusalem, the destruction of that city, and the exile of God's people in Babylon. This is the summary of the book of Lamentations given by the Bible Project. They say the fall of Jerusalem and the exile was the most horrendous catastrophe in Israel's history up until this point. Remember, God had promised Abraham the land. He had given King David victory to make Jerusalem the capital. From David came the royal line of kings. You had God's presence there in the temple, and that is where the priests maintained the rituals of Israel's worship. And after 500 years of all of that history, in the summer of 587 B.C., the city fell to Babylon. It was all decimated and gone. This book provides a really excellent backdrop for what we are encountering with what is one of the worst disasters in American history, the COVID pandemic. It's not a one-on-one comparison between us, what we're experiencing, and the book. We're not, we have, our country has not been destroyed and in exile. But there are many similarities. Our nation is at the forefront of an international crisis, the COVID epidemic. We're not used to that. We're used to other nations suffering more than we do. But now we're in a peculiar situation with having the most fatalities in our country. It it has come upon us and leaves us often feeling very confused. The COVID epidemic has done significant damage and and gives challenges to our fellowship in the church and the worship of God in the church in the United States of America. We see that. Most of you are home right now. There are a few people here. It has done, the COVID epidemic has done significant damage to our economy, to all kinds of things. So we are in the Book of Lamentations and we're learning the language of lament. The Book of Lamentations, five chapters, it's really five poems. And today we will be in poem three, chapter three. The first four poems are what they call acrostic poems. It means that each verse begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the author is literally trying to express the pain of his own pain in the people of Israel in what we would say from A to Z, the encompassing A to Z of his pain, the nation's pain. Four out of the five um, poems in this book begin with the letter Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, it ends with Tav, the last letter of the alphabet. Chapters 1, 2, and 4 have 22 verses, the exact number in that alphabet. And then our chapter, chapter 6, has 66 verses, three chapters for each letter. So what what does that all mean? It means that life feels very much out of control in the midst of a national crisis. But there remains an order to God's plan. Life is not ultimately chaotic, even as we experience temporary chaos. So let's stand together. We're going to read the first nine verses of this chapter. I will share a lot more than that, but this is what we will read together. Beginning in verse one, uh, read with me. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. And though I call and cry out for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my way with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. The word of the Lord. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart may be pleasing in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit that I may speak the very words that are on your heart as we study this passage. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> My main idea that I want to say today, just get across today, is that present day lament before a mysterious God eventually bursts into expected future hope. Present day lament Amen. before a mysterious God eventually bursts into an expectant Future hope. That's because biblical lament is such a strange mixture of honest complaint and hopeful expectation. And the picture you get in this book, if you read the whole book, it's like all these seeds in judgment, all these seeds in lamentations, all these seeds falling to the ground that will eventually burst forth into hope. Point number one biblical lament is good for the soul. Verses 1 through 20, we've only read nine of those verses. But I would encourage you to go back home and read this whole chapter. This complaint is full of metaphors. It's poetry, remember. It's full of all of these wonderful pictures, challenging pictures, but really helpful pictures to help us in the language of lament just let me name a few of them the author feels like he is one beaten down like one beaten with the rat with a rod of god's wrath he talks about being in darkness even the darkness of death growing old feeling like he's growing old with broken bones he feels like he's walled in prison and his shackles are too heavy for him he feels like he's bumped up against a roadblock a wall of stone and he can go no further once was a straight path for him by God, God has now made a crooked path. He feels like God is a lion in waiting and that he's tearing him apart like one of a lion's prey. And as the Whartons did a great job, he feels like he is shot full of arrows, like the arrows have pierced his kidneys. Or other translations say it has pierced my heart. He feels like he's been shot full of arrows, like God is his enemy. And then he has this bitter meal to eat, one of wormwood and gall, grinding his teeth on rocks and gravel. This is his meal. Very vivid images. I can't go into all these metaphors. Let me choose two. Number one, darkness. Many of you have heard of this, uh, a man named St. John of the Cross. He wrote The Dark Night of the Soul. And ever since he wrote that poem... Many of us in the Christian tradition have used that to signify what happens when we bump up against this wall of God. We feel like we're in this deep, dark place and we don't have any semblance of light. I read one article that said we are simply not educated for the darkness. We're not educated for the darkness. We often don't know what to do in the darkness. But it's a wonderful image for us the second week in Advent because the four weeks of Advent, we move into the darkness and we settle into the darkness waiting for the light of the world. Isaiah 9.2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. What makes the light so great is the contrast to the darkness. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned, hallelujah, and his name is Jesus. The second imagery that I want to talk about is like being in prison or even bumping against that wall, that stone wall, and I simply cannot find another way around this wall because it goes on for miles. I am at an impasse. And again, here, I'm talking about my spiritual direction program. Last month, we talked about the darkness the, the darkness of the soul, the dark night of the soul. But we also talked about this idea of impasse. And it was incredibly helpful to me. I, We are at an impasse, are we not? Our nation is at an impasse. No way around it. Our church is at an impasse with us, many of us, having so many different ideas. This is what the article said. It said, in a genuine impasse, one's custom way of acting and living is brought to a standstill. Our nation has been brought to a standstill by God. The first signs of this impasse is our powerlessness to pray with our reason. Reason simply falls short it's not that reason isn't important. It just no longer has the answers when we feel walled in in this prison or we bump up against this impasse. We it talked about societal impasse, what happens when we feel like we're walled in and in prison as a nation. And then there, here's this little piece of hope. It said, paradoxically, a situation with no potential is actually loaded With potential. A situation that sees like there's no potential is actually loaded with potential. And I would say, for the purposes of this sermon, with hope. Paradoxically, being helpless can be very efficacious. Being helpless before God can actually be a very good thing. In lament, we no longer give way to easy answers, especially easy answers about our pain and our suffering. And then we do not give easy answers to the God who is with us in our pain. Those answers, while they may have been good for most of our lives, they simply fall short in the moment of impasse, in the moment when we bump up against that wall and that wall is God. Paul Tillich, the German-American Christian philosopher, says, if you never have run away from your God, I wonder who your God is. If you have never run away from your God, I wonder who your God is. In the men I have encountered a God I simply do not understand, and my preference is to turn around and run the other direction." But in lament, like the prophets of old, like the, whoever wrote this book, says, no, I will not do that. And by the way, how can I do that? Because I go this way and I'm walled in anyway. So what I choose to do is muster up the courage and go to this God that I want to run away from. And I pour out my soul to this God. I pour out my pain, I pour out my suffering, I pour out my honest questions, I pour out my bitterness before this God, this mysterious God that in this moment I do not understand. This is what's helpful to me. I am learning the language of lament. I don't really know how to do it most of the time. So I find what I must do in the moment of pain and confusion is to suspend my knowledge of God's sovereignty and his mercy and his grace. I know the end of the book of Job. I know the beginning and I know the end. Job didn't know that. He was just struggling. What do I mean by that? At the end of the book of Job... Job has been complaining the whole time. And God finally shows up and says, Job, it's time for you to be quiet. Where were you when I created this universe? You're simply going to tell me, the God of the universe, how I am to run the universe. It's time for you to be quiet. And Job puts his hand over his mouth. And so I find that often I jump to the end of the story. And here's what makes it even more challenging. I know Jesus Christ. I know the cross, and I know the resurrection. I, I quickly will jump to, it'll be okay. I know Romans 8, it must work out for good for those who love God and are called to according to his purposes. But in lament, you can't do that. You can't let your rational mind jump to that conclusion, or you will not pour out your complaint to God. If I don't suspend this knowledge, I will not be in touch with my pain. And more importantly, I will not be in touch with the pain of others. I will just simply reason away my feelings and my agony. And that's where poetry comes in. In that moment, I need poetry to get it around my rational mind. Again, nothing wrong with reason. We'll see that reason kicks in in just a moment. But in this moment of lament, you gotta suspend some, you gotta suspend what you know to be true to enter into your pain. Lament is good for the soul. Number two, biblical lament leads to repentance, verses 39 through 44. Why should a living man complain? a man about the punishment of his sins. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to the God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself in anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. Israel, by this point, has sinned over and over and over again. They have given themselves over to the idols of the other nations again and again and again. God has been so gracious with them. God has sent his prophets, which they killed. He's pleading with them, begging with them to repent and turn away and come back to the living God, and they do not. And then he pours out his judgment and afflicts them. In the United States, our sin has not caused this pandemic. But I am convinced at this point that the pa- pandemic has, resi- let me say this again, the pandemic has revealed our sin. We did not cause this pandemic, but this pandemic has revealed our sin. The sin of the nation and the sin of the church. There's a lot of sin to go around, right? But the one I want to focus on today is the sin of the church In removing the mystery of who God is, specifically who God is in lament, providing simplistic answers will no longer do. The next generation has simply rejected our simple answers about God. And it's not like that hasn't served us well. I'm not saying that all the things that we've ever done for God have been bad. That's not my point. My point is they no longer work. The next generation longs to know a mysterious God that they cannot put into a box. A God that they cannot put into simple categories. It offers me a challenge, I'll be honest with you. Many of you know a woman named Sue Lin Tom. She's been a part of this church for, for many, many years. And she's a part of what we call my elder my elder district, that means I'm the one responsible to reach out to her on a regular basis. And I, I didn't do it. And there were some reasons I didn't do it. I'm not going to get into that. But I was right in the midst of this sermon, Monday morning, 1130, and Sue Lynn calls me out of the blue. Working on a sermon and lament. I, now, here's the point. I have learned... Not sure what that is. <laughs> we got a ham radio up here or something going off. Um, I have learned more about lament from Sue Lynn Tom than any person I know. And she called me when I'm working on a sermon on lament. I don't think it's by accident. If you don't know Sue Lynn at all, what you know need to know about her is she's a woman who has experienced deep trauma and pain throughout her whole life. If we were meeting in person today and Su Lin was here, she would be crying. Most of the time I've talked to Su Lin, she's been crying. And that's been incredibly difficult. She's she's a tenacious woman. And she's, she was always telling me what I was doing wrong with her. <laughs> it was humbling. It would drive me crazy on a regular basis. And yet, for some reason, God kept us together It wasn't an easy relationship, as I said. But I've learned more from her, and I'm thankful for this, what she's about to contribute to this sermon, because I've learned more about lament than anyone from Sue Lin. So we talked three times this week. Very honest conversations, by the way. And I said, I want your permission, Sue Lin, to talk to share your lament, just what you have learned about lament at the Congregation of New Life Church. She wrote me this um, email, which was lengthy, and I decided for the purpose of time I was going to chop it up. But I wasn't going to do that without asking her for permission. So we talked, she said okay, and at the end of our conversation yesterday she said, Tim, I have something to share with you. And usually when, when Sue Lynn tells me that, it means I've done something wrong. So I, I was like, okay, Sue Lynn, what do you want to tell me? And she said, I, I just feel this nudging of the Holy Spirit. Can you use all of my words? Now think about this for a second. A woman who's been traumatized, talking to a man in authority, a pastor, asking him to change the sermon, it took a lot of courage. So I was like, of course, Su Lin, I will do that. So these are her words to you. And what I need to let you know is Su Lin was calling me to say goodbye. She's moving on to another church, which, in all honesty, I think is, is a healthy move for her. It's, it's You can tell by what I'm about to share. It's not for, for bad reasons. These are Su Lin's, her words to us. My journey of lament began with an awakening to the reality of this broken world and my world. Apparently, I'd been stuffing my emotions in a closet to a point where there wasn't any more room left, so it burst at the seams and resulted in a tsunami of emotions from a lifetime of traumas that left me devastated. Everything in my life began to change. Again, I was confronted with the age-old question, why? My life wasn't anywhere near the Christian life I was led to think and believe it would be a rose garden. I didn't understand. God didn't answer my question as I would have liked. Instead, he said, follow me. Out of that place, God has been inviting me to go to places where I didn't want to go. Desolate places, painful places. He, was al- he always gave me the time and space I needed to wrestle with his invitation and decide if I would join him. He was always, he's always been gentle and patient as he waited for my response. It's the beauty of his gentle countenance that keeps drawing my heart to follow him time and again, time again. Each stop along my journey, God has invited me to let certain things go. I would wrestle with him. He was dealing with the things concerning my heart, and all I could think about was my losses. As we ventured into 2020, I had no idea the deep loss and the lessons that awaited me. When I lost my niece in March, while God was with me at the moment of her departure, I didn't know how to deal with this grief that ravaged my soul. Into the valley of lament I plunged again. I was screaming and thrashing and kicking really hard against God. He held me and comforted me as I unleashed all that was in the depth of my soul. I've come to see it was a kind of cleansing of my soul where all that was imprisoned deep within the dark recesses of my being was set free. It is in this freedom that I am learning to have a deeper, healthier, more intimate and transparent relationship with God and with others. I am no longer a ragamuffin, but a redeemed beloved daughter of the Lord God Almighty. This process may have been long, Tiring, painful, heart wrenching, confusing, frightening, messy, lonely, but it is not meaningless, hopeless, fruitless, or the end of the story. As I look back over the roads travel, I see that Jesus has been teaching me how to relate to him, how to relate to God as my father who loves and cares for me. In all my rantings and ravings, I was interacting with him from where I was, a child. As I engaged with him, he was exposing the things in my heart that I needed to surrender to him. The truth was that though I was confessing Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I was not living in that truth. And I wasn't making that my top priority because I was enraptured with the things of this world. I saw that how often I wandered to the dry streams and broken cisterns for life, but they do not have the power to give life. Life can only be found in Jesus. And he has shown me that there is a cost in following after Jesus. Things are, aren't always as they seem. I confess that I've struggled to understand why my brothers and sisters did not move towards me with the love and compassion of Christ as I grieved. But as I have experienced the grace of God, I find myself able to extend that grace to others. While I would have liked for you, Tim, and others to have moved towards me when I was crying, I also have learned to give you and others the freedom to be where you are in your journey. I trust he's working in your life as he has been working in mine. I can trust that in this time, I can trust in his time and his will, he will let us connect. I cannot predetermine it or demand it. I see how I boxed God into to fit into my tiny little world. God has had to take me into the depths to teach me my place, to let him be God, and to enter into the expanse of life united by, with Christ by faith. I don't need to know. I don't need to be in control. I can let God be God. And I'll say this as if I've arrived. I'm still in process. Very, very powerful words. And when she said she was nudged by the Holy Spirit, I think that's exactly right. I'm not sure I could have put into words exactly what she can put, how she can put lament into words. Most of the time, her lament has led me to repentance. I've had to repent to Sulin. Sulin, I just wasn't willing to go into the darkness, the deep darkness with you. I'm sorry. And what I, what I told her when she called me on Monday, I, I told her exactly what I told you. I, she's like, why didn't you call me? And I said, I simply did not have the emotional bandwidth. With whatever, everything that's going on in my family, everything going on in the church, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And she said, thank you for being honest. First time I've ever heard that word, those words from Sue Lin. That shows you the redemption that God does in our lives as we lament. It's really hard to do. I believe what I shared from Sue Lynn is a prophetic word for us. Now, hear me, hear me. I don't believe it's equal to Scripture, but I do believe it was born of the Spirit. And I do believe it's a revelation of God for us as we deal with our own lament and more significantly, we deal with people in deep, deep darkness. You cannot give them simple answers. I gave Sue Lin all kinds of super simple answers. It didn't work. And she had the tenacity to call me every single time on it. Now where we're at, we were saying some really honest things yesterday and really, really grateful for the vulnerability in our relationship. That is a work of God. I couldn't have done it. Sue Lin couldn't have done it. You couldn't have done it. And I reminded Sue Lin, I was there for you. Remember this. She didn't remember. When your niece died, I sat with you and just let you cry and cry and cry and cry. She cried for 30 minutes straight. At least around there. And I reminded her, there are people in this church who've been there for Sue Lin. And she acknowledged that. Biblical lament leads to repentance finally biblical lament waits and hopes here's the hope but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. The, for the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from the heart or grieve the children of men. Hallelujah. That that section right there is just bursting with hope. Lament and, re, and, and repentance that strips away everything that is false. Lament. Repentance, it strips it away. So what is left? The Lord. The Lord is my portion. What is left is the Lord. That's all the Lord has ever wanted with us as He brings affliction into our lives. That He that we may come to Him and not turn our hearts to another idol. Have you noticed in this section, the Lord says good three times? Something is good three times. When the scripture says something three times, especially in Hebrew poetry, it's saying, pay attention, this is the crux of the issue. Number one, it is good. God is good to those who wait on him, to the soul who seeks him. Number two, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And number three, it's good for man to bear this yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone In silence, when it is laid on him, let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. We get to hope by waiting on the Lord. Can we admit to ourselves right now, as American Christians, it is hard for us to wait. Can we admit to ourselves that it is hard to be quiet? That's a discipline. We learn that in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It is hard to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. We are already, you can hear it as a nation, we are already running ahead to the vaccination, are we not? Now hear me on this. Hear me on this. I want to be clear. I'm all for the vaccination. I I don't want any more people to die. But what I'm concerned about as a nation, more particularly, what I'm concerned about is in the church. Are we learning the lesson of the pandemic? Are we learning to lament? Are we learning the language of lament? There's another question. Are you waiting or are you resisting? I want to go back to the idea in the introduction of the sermon about resistance. Resistance. Resistance is extremely helpful. In the course, I told you about our spiritual direction course, they talk, we talk a lot about resistance. Resistance contains all the seeds of conversion. Now, I don't mean I'm a sinner, I give my life to Jesus, and I'm saved. That's not the kind of conversion I'm talking about. I'm talking about a conversion to new ideas, a conversion to a new way of doing things. When we do reading in our spiritual direction course, and there's a lot of it, they say, we don't want you reading for information. That's how you're used to reading that way. We want you to read and pay attention to the movement of God in your heart. Where do you feel attracted and where where do you feel yourself resisting? Pay attention more to the resistance because there's where the conversion to a new idea. That's where all the potential is. You ever hear the phrase, what you resist persists? So pay attention to your resistance. Are you waiting on the Lord or are you resisting? Resistance contains all the seeds of conversion and hope. Another way of putting it is, are you ignoring any sorrow in your life? Are you moving too quickly past your sorrow? And when I take a drink, I'll just let's just pause for a moment and ask ourselves: Am I avoiding any sorrow? Why a sermon series on lament? I'll be honest. When Pastor Larry said, "Hey, we're going off the board. We're going to do a four-week sermon on lament," I'm like, "Dude, man, been there, done that." In fact. I preached on Lament about a year ago, and I poured my guts out right in this very place before you guys. I was not up for it, but Pastor Larry felt like the Spirit was moving. I trust his leadership, and so four-week sermon on Lament, and here I am again. Lord, what, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? And I understand that emotionally, not you're not all there. Some of you are feeling pretty hopeful right now. You're feeling rather positive. That that does happen, even in the midst of a pandemic, and that's okay. But what I'm here to say is if we do not learn the language of lament, then our most likely our hope is in the wrong place. If you do not learn the language of lament, your hope is probably in the wrong place. How do I know that? So much of the scripture is lament. The book of Psalms, Pastor Larry has said this, Most of it, most of the prayer book of the people of God throughout all history is lament. If we're not learning the language of lament, our hope is probably in the wrong place. Because what we hope for is that an unexpected Messiah would show up in an unexpected way. The Israelites were expecting a, a triumphant Messiah. What they got was a suffering servant whose mouth was full of complaints and full of lament. Do you see the seeds of the Messiah in this chapter? Verse 30, let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. That is Jesus Christ. As he's being betrayed, as people are saying, crucify him, crucify him. As the Roman soldiers are insulting him, this is our God. And on the cross, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, that's not just Jesus quoting scripture. We cannot look at Jesus like he's some kind of superhero. He is a suffering servant. That is genuine lament. He's pouring out his soul. He is in the deepest of darkness and agony, suffering our death, suffering for our sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I am innocent before you, my God. Jesus is the only one who could say it. I'm innocent. Job tried to say it, but Jesus is the only one who could say, God, I am innocent before you, and yet you pour out your rod upon me. You give me gravel to eat. I drink this, I eat this wormwood and gall. It is a genuine lament before his father in heaven. An unexpected Messiah showing up and doing unexpected things, bringing in a kingdom that is so very much unexpected, saying, we need new wineskins. You can't put the old wine into these new wineskins or they will burst. And I'm afraid, people, that's what we're doing. Have we learned the lesson of lament in this pandemic? I think we're trying to. We need to. Because it points right to the heart of our Messiah, who was a lamb led to the slaughter, and he kept quiet. This is our God. And then this beautiful, amazing verse 33. God does not afflict from the heart. All of this affliction... All of this pain, all the judgment that he brought on Israel, that does not represent his deepest, the deepest part of his heart. He will bring affliction. He will bring judgment, but it doesn't give him joy. He knows that unless he does that, we will run away from him because he is just too big and too mysterious. He is too majestic. He is too holy for us but he never afflicts from the heart. The deepest part of God's heart, he says it, is compassion and a steadfast love for you and for me. Mercy and grace is the deepest, deepest part of his heart, even when he afflicts and disciplines. It's a lot. It's a lot. Interestingly enough, remember I said four out of five poems in this book ends, they're structured with that orderly structure of the acrostic poem. Interestingly enough, the last poem, chapter 5, has no acrostic structure. The book of Lamentations doesn't end on a positive note. This is how it ends. Chapter 5, verses 21 through 22. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. End of the book. Thud. It ends in chaos, not order. Why? Because that's how life feels so much of the time. Life is completely chaotic, God is way too big for us to fully understand, and that's okay. And it is okay to express our chaos and the pain of our life. And yes, it is okay to question our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we admit before you this day that this is too much. It's a lot. Teach us the language of lament, but thank you that lament always, that we always have a hopeful lament. We always end with the knowledge, Jesus, of what you did on the cross. Taking on all of the sin, all the chaos, all the agony, all the pain, all the trauma, all the sin of the world. For those who will call upon your name. Thank you that you were a God whose mouth was full of lament, Lord Jesus and cried out, my God, my God, why did you forsake me in the midst of going to the deep, deep darkness for us? Thank you, Lord. We know that all the seeds of our lament will eventually burst forward into hope. We do ask for that hope in our nation, Lord. We do ask for that hope in our church. I pray, Lord, that you would help us not to put you in a box not to give simple answers about who you are, just simply to know the true God. The God who may afflict for a season, but never does it from the depths of your heart. Thank you that you are a God who is steadfast in your love for us. And your your heart is full of compassion. Lead us to hope, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.